0: Welcome to NTD News Today.
1: Here are today's top stories.
0: What's the impact of the illegal immigrant crisis on American society? A House hearing examines this as illegal immigration at the southern border surges.
1: Closing arguments begin in former President Trump's New York civil fraud case. Trump was barred from speaking in court, but appeared at the trial where he promised to speak to reporters.
0: Presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis wants to build a wall and Nikki Haley declares his campaign is exploding. Takeaways and analysis on the fifth GOP primary debate.
1: A powerful storm wrecked havoc across the US this week, but mother nature may not be done yet. Find out why some are calling a major tempest on the horizon a deja vu storm.
0: From Google to Amazon, big names in tech are cutting jobs one by one across their departments what we know about the recent wave of layoffs.
1: By now, pay later. This promise is attracting more and more people as consumer financing companies offer small zero-interest loans. We explore the drawbacks of this new form of debt.
2: This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stefania Cox and Chris Beers.
0: Former President Trump arrived at a courthouse in Manhattan today for closing arguments of his civil fraud trial. Justice Arthur Engeron barred Trump from speaking in the courtroom, but Trump told reporters he would be holding a news conference after the arguments.
3: It's election interference at the highest level. It's a disgrace. It's in coordination with the White House and Joe Biden, because he can't win a campaign fairly. And uh, we're going through it, but it is indeed a terrible witch hunt. We're going to have a news conference a little bit later on. As you know, I want to speak. I want to make the summation. Uh, At this moment, the judge is not letting me make the summation because I'll bring up things that he doesn't want to hear. And uh, it's a very unfair trial. Nobody's seen anything like this.
0: And Garon previously ruled that Trump was liable for fraud and inflated net worth. New York State Attorney General Letitia James has called for a fine of $370 million and a lifetime ban from the state's real estate industry. Trump has denied any wrongdoing.
1: Today, James's office is expected to highlight Trump and his company's involvement in the preparation of financial statements from 2011 to 2021, while Trump's legal team is expected to argue that the case premise is entirely flawed. The judge is expected to deliver a verdict in the coming weeks.
0: And hours before the trial started today, Engeron was targeted in a swatting incident. Someone sent a threatening email prompting a police response to the judge's home. The content of the email has not been disclosed. Mocking Chris Christie's exit and hinting at his own potential VP pick, former President Trump, in the spotlight last night at a Fox News town hall in Iowa.
1: NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao joins us for her observations of the town hall and more on Trump's vision of a potential second term.
4: Former President Trump was commanding a stage all to himself here at a Fox News town hall on Wednesday night here in Des Moines, Iowa. He was cheered by his supporters as he walked on the stage throughout the town hall and even during breaks. He was actually even greeting supporters off stage 10-15 minutes after the event wrapped. So you can really see that support he has as is topping 50% in multiple polls here in Iowa. And there are a few highlights during the town hall he responded to a major criticism by Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis against him, which is saying that he, he's all focused on his issues during his campaign and that he's going to make this country look backward if he's reelected. Here's how he responded.
3: I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution.
4: And, and remember this, our ultimate retribution is success. And that is a softer tone, though, compared with his previous remarks when he, for example, warned that President Biden will be, quote, ripe for indictment for weaponizing the Department of Justice. It doesn't mean that he's not going to prosecute President Biden when he gets in office Potentially, like he warned before that Biden will be ripe for indictment.
5: That's what the Democrats do. President Trump's going to go save the country. Again, he did it before, he can do it again.
4: And another highlight from the town hall is when Trump took aim at Nikki Haley by mocking a hot mic moment by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, right before Chris Christie made that announcement on Wednesday night that he was going to drop out of the race in 2024. Here's what Chris Christie and Trump were saying.
6: And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this.
3: Actually, the bigger story wasn't the fact that he dropped out. Nobody cared too much about that. But he had a hot mic to say that she doesn't have what it takes. She'll be creamed in the, in the election. And I mean, I know her very well, and I happen to believe that Chris Christie is
4: right. And all this is as Trump surprised all of us by saying that he already knew who his vice president pick would be, though he wouldn't tell us who it is. So a lot to watch for in the coming weeks and months as we wait for Trump to actually disclose his choice to voters. Back to you.
1: While Trump was teasing voters about a running mate, presidential rivals Nikki Haley and Governor Ron DeSantis went head-to-head in the fifth GOP primary debate. With the Iowa caucuses less than a week away, the 2024 hopefuls traded blows over policy in a last-minute push to pull voters away from the GOP frontrunner, former President Trump. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg
7: has takeaways from last night's debate. GOP presidential candidates Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley opened up in Wednesday's CNN-hosted primary debate by slinging subtle attacks and blatant accusations. Both called each other liars, with DeSantis alleging Haley works for donors. We don't need another mealy mouth politician who just tells you what she thinks you wanna hear just to try to get your vote, then to get in office and to do her donor's bidding. Haley followed up by saying he's only mad about donors because they're no longer with him.
4: He's upset about the fact that his his campaign is exploding.
7: The two Republicans directed viewers to fact-checking websites set up by their campaigns.
4: But every time he lies, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game, because you will be overserved
0: by the end of the night.
7: The rivals clashed over the U.S.'s role in supporting Ukraine against Russia, with DeSantis claiming Haley has a globalist agenda and believes the U.S. has unlimited resources.
8: Here's the problem. You can take the ambassador out of the United Nations, but you can't take the United Nations out of the ambassador.
7: Haley accused DeSantis of lying to Americans about having to make a choice, arguing aiding Ukraine could stop Russia from moving on to Poland and other NATO countries.
4: You do not have to choose when it comes to national security. This is about keeping Americans safe. This is about preventing war. This is about keeping our military men and women from having to fight a war.
7: DeSantis called Haley's hawkish foreign policy stance a carbon copy of President Biden's and an open-ended commitment, saying the U.S. needs to find a way to end the war so that it can focus on other national security concerns like the Chinese regime and at home. Haley delivered a blow to DeSantis halfway through the debate with criticism of his campaign, saying if he can't manage it well, how will he manage the country?
4: He has blown through $150 million, I don't even know how you do that. Through his campaign, he has nothing to show for it.
7: Ending illegal immigration was one issue where the hopefuls found common ground. We will build
2: a wall. We will actually have Mexico pay for it in the way that I thought Donald
7: Trump was. DeSantis says it will be paid for by taxing remittances that immigrants sent to family back home. Haley agreed, saying you have to deport them. Both say they want to cut government spending if they take the Oval Office and try to bring down inflation. The two candidates are pretty much tied in Iowa, where the first in the nation nominating contest will be held on Monday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. For analysis of
1: last night's debate between Haley and DeSantis, we have Mike Leon host of the can we please talk podcast thanks for joining us mike what were your key takeaways from the debate last night
6: hey chris thanks so much for having me on the show you know i watch debate a little bit different than everybody else obviously i was covering it last night for that other network and i've been watching all of these debates from august september you know as we've whittled the field down from eight to where we are now Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis yesterday lobbied a lot of personal attacks, and obviously she promoted that website that her team spun up of all the lies that DeSantis has told, and you should check out the site because it actually is pretty good in terms of what it points out. But I I just thought DeSantis, looking at it objectively, I thought DeSantis yesterday hit back on a few different things uh, policy-wise. He was able to articulate some certain things, but I thought the personal attacks between the two of them, you could tell at the end of the night, the moderator, Jake Tapper, asked a question about what do you like about each other? And Nikki Haley's response was I I like that he's governor. And you can tell that this is starting to weigh on her and it's personal. And I I think the winner of the debate to me doesn't matter because it's all about Monday and we find out truly who's going to caucus for the former president, who's gonna caucus for Ron DeSantis, who's gonna trek in treacherous weather and seven degree weather to caucus for Nikki Haley. And I'm truly interested to see what shakes out here, who places in the top three, and where do we go from here now that Chris Christie is out of the race as we head into New Hampshire.
1: And Mike, what impact do you think last night's debate will have on the results this Monday?
6: Well, I I think for both of the candidates yesterday, and they've been doing town halls with some other this whole week, you know, people are not watching it like I'm watching it, every single debate glued in. So there is an opportunity there to talk to Iowa voters about why they should caucus. You know, uh, my alma mater is Rutgers University. We happened to play Iowa last week in basketball. All throughout the game, there was ads from each of these folks. Nikki Haley alluded to it in the debate about the $150 million that DeSantis has burned through. She spent about $15 million just in December on advertising placements all throughout different local and regional networks. So the two of them have been getting out there. Obviously, DeSantis visited all 99 counties. He's putting all his chips in this basket for Iowa. I don't know if there's going to be an upset uh, Monday, given all of the polling data, but I will say that when you mix in all of the factors and that the Trump caucus goers in a recent poll on another network, 83 percent say they would caucus for him versus 16 percent say they may change. I just don't see a way either of DeSantis or Haley actually win in Iowa.
1: And also last night, former President Trump was at a town hall hosted by Fox News. Vivek Ramaswamy was on Tim Poole's podcast. With GOP candidates on three different platforms at the same time, how does that affect voters?
6: You know, that's really well said. (laughs) A very, very great question because... I'm sitting here watching the debate for CNN. I'm trying to listen to the town hall as well. There was overlap because one was an hour, the other one was two hours. Uh, I think for voters right now, there's an overload of content. And I'm obviously in the content game and have had some of these folks on on my show as well. So it's an overload of where you're getting information. I think for Iowa caucus goers right now, it's, it's real simple. The choice is pretty clear. You voted for Donald Trump in 2020 in this state, 53 percent over Joe Biden. Uh, Are you going to come out in full force again? Do you feel some of these things are politically motivated that he's been charged with? And then for the upstart ones, the traditional Republicans, you know, the more moderate folks in the Iowa base, do you take the endorsement? of Governor Kim Reynolds and, and Bob Vander and, and and factor in Ron DeSantis and the work that he's done in Florida? Or do you want somebody like a Nikki Haley that could potentially win a general electorate and get more independence on her side so I think that's what we're really going to see play out in Iowa I mean I was always a traditional red state the real key is going to be New Hampshire as they always say Iowa picks corn and New Hampshire picks president so yeah. these next 8 to 10 days are going to be really crucial as we shake the the GOP uh, presidential nominee for 2024
1: and just in closing here Mike last night uh, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie suspended his campaign who are his supporters likely to go to
6: so, I mean, his supporters, according to, to polling data, show that 64% would be likely to go to Nikki Haley, according to a recent CNN poll. Um, you know, when Vivek Ramaswamy said on the stage uh, in one of the debates, I believe it was the third debate, about Chris Christie's campaign being solely to target the former president, I think that kind of shattered the glass for a lot of people that were thinking about maybe Chris Christie could be somebody would vote for in the party. Remember, this is a a, red, uh, a blue state governor you know, red, obviously, won it twice. Uh, And I thought he would translate a little bit better to the national uh, stage as that candidate that could sway independents and moderates. He just never got the traction that he needed. And I think he suspended it at the right time, too, to be able to give folks the chance to let this process play out over these next eight days. It's crucial for Nikki Haley's campaign.
1: All right. Mike Leon, host of the Can We Please Talk podcast. Thank you so much. A group of Iowa voters were surveyed after the debate between Nikki Haley and Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Some were still on the fence, but with Trump
9: first in mind. Take a look. But now everyone is ready to caucus. Raise your hand if you are ready to caucus for Ron DeSantis. One. Raise your hand if you're ready to caucus for Nikki Haley. One two. Raise your hand if you're ready to caucus for Donald Trump. One two, three, four. Is there anyone, any other candidate who anyone else here is gonna caucus for? Who did, did not, not raise their hand? Three of you, so you're not gonna caucus. It's gonna to be oh, too yes. cold for you. No. It's Supposed to be I'm like 30 caucus. below wind chill on Monday. You're not going? No, I'm oh, just yes. kidding. <laughs> why, why didn't you raise your hand? You're not, because you're, I'm not decided yet. So who are you <laughs> thinking between? Between Trump and DeSantis. And how do you make your decision between now and Monday? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> what about you, Cody?
10: I'm also stuck between uh, Trump and DeSantis, and uh, we'll we'll just see how it goes, I guess, the feeling that I get on Monday.
9: Have you learned anything from these five debates? For example, have any of you completely changed your mind about the candidate you were going to caucus for from watching these five debates? Anybody? Anybody? Have any of you switched from one candidate to the other? Yes, Cody.
10: I, uh, when these started, I was pretty certain on DeSantis and he's done good in the debates. It's not that that's changed my mind, but now that Trump is polling a lot better against Biden and has uh, seemingly a much better shot in the swing states, I find myself kind of leaning back towards Trump.
0: Using a van for absentee voting. A Wisconsin judge ruled that using mobile vans to facilitate absentee voting violates state election law. This is a win for Republicans who challenged the practice in court. In 2022, a vehicle drove to various locations in the city of Racine to collect absentee ballots. A Racine County Circuit Court judge ruled this violated state law while also unfairly benefiting Democrats. The van was sent to merely two dozen sites where it would stop for several hours of in-person absentee voting. The judge agreed with plaintiffs, saying the van was mostly sent to Democratic areas in the city. The Wisconsin ruling comes as states across the U.S. are getting ready for this year's presidential elections. At least four people are dead after a major storm slammed the Northeast with rain, flooding and fierce winds over the past two days. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on its aftermath and a warning about a powerful new storm forecasters say could pack a mighty punch.
2: The storm knocked out power to hundreds of thousands as part of a bout of violent weather that battered most of the U.S. In Pennsylvania, a creek in Delaware County flooded over, trapping this man in a tree. The man called 911, but was unable to give his location before his phone ran out of battery. Rescuers used geolocation from his phone to track him down. Middletown Fire Company Captain Robert McLaughlin says they were able to float out a surfboard to him with a life jacket. We went in, we made contact with the patient, figured out how he was doing, um, kind of put like a personable touch to it just so that he kind of feels a little better. The man balances on the board as the swift moving water races by. Nearly to safety, the surfboard flips over, plunging the panicked man into the frigid waters. But the firemen keep cool heads and complete the rescue, pulling the man to safety. Rescuers had their hands full in New Jersey too, rescuing this trapped man. A boat would be better suited for the deep water his truck got stuck in. Out west in California, members of the ski patrol at a resort near Lake Tahoe used shovels to help dig people out after an avalanche. Here, they seem to get some good news but it was later reported that one person, a male, died and another person sustained non-life-threatening injuries. The avalanche occurred on steep slopes with black diamond runs for skilled skiers and snowboarders. In New Hampshire, wild waves powered by the menacing weather pounded the Hampton Beach shoreline. Nature's fury is on full display in the churning waters. As people recover from the massive storm, more dangerous weather is on the horizon. The new storm will place the same parts of the central and eastern US at risk once more, amplifying the potential impact for those still recovering. The origins of the new storm are rooted in the Pacific Northwest, which was walloped by blizzard conditions on Tuesday. The storm is expected to morph into a much larger beast as it exits the plains by Thursday evening setting the stage for a highly impactful event in the central and eastern US. Snow and gusty winds which may lead to whiteout conditions are forecast in parts of Kansas and Nebraska into the Midwest. Simultaneously, very cold air will plunge south out of Canada and send temperatures plummeting across much of the north-central U.S. Parts of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi are under a risk of severe thunderstorms on Thursday night, with severe hail, wind, and tornadoes all possible. The highest threat for tornadoes looks to center from central Arkansas through northern Louisiana. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: And now we'll begin our coverage of a congressional hearing titled The Impact of Illegal Immigration on Social Services.
1: It's hosted by the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration, Integrity, Security, and Enforcement.
0: The hearing will look at how the current border crisis is affecting schools, hospitals, law enforcement, emergency services, and other social services.
5: Let's dive in. Make our communities safer by making it all but impossible to to deport criminal illegal aliens. How does it help working families by flooding the labor market with cheap illegal labor? How does it improve our schools by packing classrooms with non-English speaking students? I am still waiting for an answer to these questions from the Democrats. But the reality is starting to become obvious to the American people. Coincidentally, after we'd announced this hearing on the impact of this crisis on social services, Mayor Eric Adams kicked 4,000 New York children out of their high school in order to house 2,000 illegal migrants. He has yet to explain why he didn't offer them a plane ticket home instead. Indeed, one estimate from New York City is that the cost of simply educating let alone housing and feeding, these recent arrivals will cost the city's schools $1 billion next year. That is effectively a $1 billion cut in their school budgets, a $1 billion cut to the funds available to educate legal residents. We have already heard of American veterans kicked out of nursing homes to make way for illegal aliens of law enforcement overwhelmed by dealing with the accompanying crimes, of American mothers forced to drive three hours to deliver their babies because every maternity bed in their local hospital is taken up by a lawbreaker who's no legal right to be here. And we'll hear of more outrages today. Under the Biden administration, schools are becoming illegal alien shelters, airports are becoming illegal alien shelters, Parks are becoming illegal alien shelters. Police stations are becoming illegal alien shelters. Nursing homes are becoming illegal alien shelters. Hotels are becoming illegal alien shelters. Homeless shelters are becoming illegal alien shelters. All of this is paid for by struggling American families who work hard, pay their taxes, and obey our laws. And when they question this, They're called racist xenophobes by my Democratic colleagues. Now, this crisis is not because of incompetence. This is the deliberate policy of this administration. It's not going to be solved by new laws that the Senate won't pass and the president won't sign or enforce. It won't be solved by spending more money to encourage and support still more illegal aliens flooding our country. And it won't be solved by swapping one leftist official for another. The harsh truth is that this catastrophe was set in motion when the American people elected this administration, and it's going to continue until the American people replace it with one that will defend our citizens, secure our borders, and restore the rule of law. This unprecedented illegal migration is exactly what the Democrats promised to do, it's exactly what they have done, and it's exactly what they have defended for the last three years in this Congress. If you voted for them, This is exactly what you voted for. And if that surprises you, you you weren't paying any attention. The good news is the American people are starting to pay attention as communities confront the dangers and deprivations that this administration and its supporters in Congress have unleashed upon them. We will quantify some of that in today's testimony and then pray it's not too late to save our country. Uh, I'm now pleased to recognize the ranking member for an opening statement.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. As we hurtle towards a government shutdown, with House Republicans unable to fulfill their most basic responsibility of agreeing to a funding plan that keeps the government going, last night we shut down the floor because they couldn't even pass their own rules. And yet, here we are, having another hearing to discuss migrants who have crossed the border. And I am sure that, once again, we will hear the same false talking points, blaming everything on Secretary Mayorkas and President Biden. The fact is that this country needs fundamental reforms positive reforms to an outdated immigration system that desperately needs to be modernized that would allow for multiple legal pathways for immigrants who are already contributing to our country and those who seek to come to this country to contribute. There is so much fear-mongering going on that it is difficult to know exactly where to start. But let me say this first. The Biden administration is enforcing immigration laws. In fact, the administration has been so heavy handed in recent months that I have serious concerns about how they are conducting border enforcement. This is especially true when it comes to the administration's regulations that limit access to asylum and the use of expedited processing procedures for families. Today, there are nearly 38,000 people in Immigration and Customs Enforcement detention, which, by the way, is what the Trump administration averaged in fiscal year 2018. But if you listen to my colleagues on the other side, you would think that there are zero people in detention. The Biden administration has also significantly increased removals in a way that I worry violates migrants' due process rights and their ability to lawfully seek asylum. Since the end of Title 42 last year, the Biden administration has removed or returned to Mexico over 400,000 individuals, including over 65,000 individual members of family units, including children. This total is nearly equivalent to the number of people removed in all of fiscal year 2019 under Donald Trump. So the idea that the administration is not enforcing the law is ridiculous. Second, And I think this is a really important point. This hearing is supposed to distract the American people from the fact that my Republican colleagues have absolutely no accomplishments to run on. Once again, they are trying to scapegoat immigrants by making claims about undocumented immigrants' use of social services. However, under our laws, they are not eligible for the vast majority of federal benefits.
0: Coming up. An illegal immigrant charged with homicide had been deported from the U.S. four times before causing a fatal car crash in Colorado. What is his immigration record?
1: And Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas under fire in a House hearing this week over the border crisis. And we speak with an Arizona sheriff for an on-the-ground look at the issues. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. We're watching a congressional hearing titled The Impact of Illegal Immigration on Social Services.
0: It's hosted by the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration Integrity, Security, and Enforcement.
1: The hearing will look at how the current border crisis is affecting schools, hospitals, law enforcement, emergency services, and other social services.
0: Let's watch. Uh,
5: And we'll begin with Chief Mello.
10: Chairman Klintock, ranking member, J. Appel and distinguished members of the committee thank you for the opportunity to speak to you today on the impact of illegal immigration on social services and especially the fire department our fire department Eagle Pass fire department the Maverick County Maverick County is located approximately 140 miles southwest of San Antonio Texas Eagle Pass is a, is the county seat and borders the city of Piedras Negras Coahuila Mexico just across the Rio Grande River Both cities share approximately 120 miles of Precious River. We have a population of approximately 70,000, which includes the city and the county, and a fluctuating population of approximately 5,000 to 10,000 additional visitors to the community at, at any given time. The fire department is a small department with three stations located strategically within the city limits. Each station has six members, six firefighters, on a daily basis trained in EMS paramedics or basic EMS or EMTs <coughs> total personnel for the fire department are 52 on shift firefighters and 10 support staff twelve of the personnel are cross trained in swift water rescue and are divided into three team members per shift the Eagle Pass Fire Department is the main 911 EMS provider in the community we respond to 7,500 EMS calls on a yearly basis. All of our emergency ambulance transfers go straight to the only hospital, which is Fort Duncan Medical Center, which has 18 emergency room beds. In 2023, EMS transports increased to over 9,000 calls for assistance. Approximately 10% were migrant-related. Our drownings pre-2020 were approximately 8 to 12 per year. As of December 2023, we had recorded 43 migrant body recoveries for, the, for this year. For that year, these body recoveries include men, women, and children ranging from two months to 15 years old. As a witness to many incidents, I am here to tell you we are being overwhelmed with EMS calls and body recoveries. In my 32 years of service, I had not experienced this many calls. There are days it seems that the ambulance wells never stop. Going to the river or areas along the river's edge where the crossings are frequent has become a norm for us with little or no help from anyone, not even the federal government. I have attached a summary of an incident so you can have an idea of what my men and women go through. This is a summary of two Nicaraguan children that drowned in the Rio Grande River by Eagle Pass Monday, August 22, 2022. first call came in approximately at 1259 p.m. An EMS unit and a swift water rescue team responded to the incident located underneath one of the Eagle Pass Negras International bridges by the Rio Grande River. Upon arrival, Border Patrol were performing CPR on a three-month-old infant. This patient was transported to Fort Duncan Medical Center with a faint pulse. This infant was later transported to University Hospital in San Antonio in critical condition, where he later died. As the first patient, a three-month-old, was being treated at Fort Duncan Medical Center, the second 911 call came in at 1337 for a three-year-old. An additional ambulance and crew responded with the Swift Water Rescue Team to the same area where the first patient had been located. On arrival, the EMS crews were advised by Border Patrol that the infant child, or the child, was related to the infant and had crossed the river at the same time with family members. He was, he was a three-month-old baby brother. EMS crews were directed to a pickup truck where the body of the child had been placed prior to EMS arrival. All efforts to revive had ceased due to the length of time the patient had been underwater. The child had last been seen at approximately 12.45. Based on the presentation and time of the patient underwater, it was determined the child had expired."
1: We have new information on the case of an illegal immigrant charged for killing a mother and son. Officials now say the suspect had already been deported multiple times before allegedly causing the alcohol-fueled crash. Last month, a 37-year-old man from El Salvador allegedly crashed his car into another car in Colorado. He was later arrested and is now facing multiple charges, including vehicular homicide. An ICE spokesperson recently told the Epic Times that authorities had deported the man four times in the past. That was in 2009, 2012, 2014, and again in 2015. He might now be deported once more. After last month's crash, ICE Denver lodged a detainer to seek his arrest.
0: And earlier, we spoke with an Arizona County Sheriff, Mark Lamb, for his take on the border issues. Sheriff, you're right up there in amongst it at the border. What are the biggest and most pressing issues facing your county today?
8: Look, I think that the greatest national security threat to this country, not just my county, not just my community, not Arizona, is what's happening at the southern border. Some of the biggest pressing issues, the amount of fentanyl that's coming in, it's become the leading cause of death amongst Americans. I think with all these people coming in, we've stopped talking about the impact that has on losing over 100,000 Americans a year from fentanyl poisoning. But we also have military-age men coming from all over the world, flooding into our country and posing a grave risk to us as a national security threat.
0: Yeah, for sure. These are some highly uh, concerning issues. Uh, What solutions do you see could potentially be put in place to to address these effectively?
8: Look, this is not a this is not rocket science. Let's try this one. Hold people accountable. Enforce the law. We have laws on the books that say you cannot come into this country illegally, yet as a country, we're just not enforcing those. And then we also have asylum laws, which the majority of these people are coming in under false asylum claims, or they didn't make asylum claims in the first country they came to. So we've got to do a better job of doing that. If you want to talk about long-term solutions, let's get back to the Trump-era policies, remain in Mexico, Title Eight, maybe Title 42 comes back because... The amount of things coming into this country, people, illnesses, sicknesses. There's a lot of things we can do, but the easiest is to go back to the Trump era policies.
0: So paint us a picture of what it is like down there at the border and the issues that uh, your team is facing processing all of these people or with all of them coming across. What's it like?
8: You know, fortunately, and you know i guess fortunately we're not right on the border i'm one county off so the county below me the other counties below me are really struggling with just hordes of people coming across we see the videos every day And those people are just wandering out into their communities or they're bogging down border patrol. In my county, we've seen a 377 percent increase in traffic stops involving human smuggling over the last few years. We have seen a 461 percent increase in pursuits involving human smugglers. And we've also seen a 600 percent increase in fentanyl seizures. So these are real, staggering, appalling numbers that we face every day, as do our counterparts along the border.
0: And what are the flow-on effects there to the families and communities within your area?
8: Well, I think the biggest effect is obviously the fentanyl problem. That is affecting families all across this country and my county, and this state is not immune from that but we're also seeing rising crime in certain things. You have people that are coming here, they don't have jobs. Many of them were criminals in their own, some of them were criminals in their own country. We know this because last year, I think they caught 16,000 people trying to come into this country that had already been convicted of crimes here in America or who were wanted by law enforcement. You've got people on the terrorist watch list. Those are the things that concern the citizens in my communities about what's coming across. But you know, a lot of it doesn't stay in Arizona. Most of it goes throughout the rest of this country and it's affecting America.
0: Yeah, just this week, we're seeing more impacts of the waves of illegal immigrants across the country, New York City in particular making headlines. The experiences of border communities could be a precursor of what interstates and cities may soon face. As this happens, do you expect to see more unification at the state level about the border crisis and what to do about it?
8: Look, I don't think that the, the, the cities or the government people are unifying yet. They're basically just wanting more money to deal with the issue. They don't want to stop the problem. We need to unify in saying enough's enough. We need to secure our southern border and stop people from violating our law and this, stop this invasion into our country. Look, I'm a sheriff, and I'd love to be a sheriff, but I realize there's only so much I can do from a county level. I can protect my herd from the wolves. But at some point, somebody's got to go out and hunt those wolves and put an end to this. And some, we need good people to go back to Washington, D.C. That's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate here in Arizona. People that understand these issues, go back to D.C., fix our economy, fix our border, fix our crime. Um, and I hope to do that. So please come support me at Sheriff Lamb for Senate.com.
0: Right. Thank you so much, Sheriff Mark Lam. Great to speak with you. Coming up, a new inflation report is out and it's a disappointment for some. Consumer prices came in hotter than expected. NTD's Don Ma breaks it down.
1: And from Google to Amazon, big names in tech are cutting jobs one by one across their departments. What we know about the recent wave of layoffs, more shortly here on NTD News Today.
0: Joining us now is NTD business host Don Ma to discuss the approval of Bitcoin ETFs.
1: The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved the first U.S. listed exchange traded funds to track Bitcoin. Don, is this going to be a game changer for the crypto industry?
12: Well, Chris, uh, yes, I think this is uh, very much a watershed moment for for the crypto and it's a major victory for the whole industry of digital assets, uh, which has been trying for a decade to actually launch. Such a product, uh, SEC approved eleven applications. That's from uh, including BlackRock, uh, Ark Investments, Fidelity, and many others. And the ETF approval, will seem like to seems like will maybe further legitimize um, Bitcoin, and it has just made it easier for Bitcoin investing uh, because uh, the ETF simplifies uh, the process for investors who want to have exposure to Bitcoin's price movements, but. Uh, don't actually want to deal with the complexities of buying and storing actual Bitcoins. Uh, so, you know, this makes, uh, makes it a lot simpler because to actually own uh, Bitcoins, you have to set up a crypto wallet and accounts uh, with crypto exchanges. And not to mention that uh, some, of them, some of the exchanges have very poor security records and are prone to hacks. Uh, But in contrast, uh, the ETFs are listed on tightly regulated stock exchanges and therefore are accessible through investors' existing brokerage accounts, which are closely supervised. Um, So, I mean, this could give a major boost to, to a crypto industry that we've seen has recently been plagued with scandals. And the ETF structure also boosts the accessibility of Bitcoin, uh, for institutional investors, some of which are actually uh, barred from directly investing in alternative assets. Um, and according to standard chartered uh, analysts, um, s- uh, according to them, the ETFs could actually draw in f- $50 billion to $100 billion alone this year. So exciting news. Okay,
0: that's pretty exciting. So, how will the ETFs work?
12: Uh, so they're going to be listed on the Nasdaq and the New York Stock Exchange and the Chicago Options uh, Board Options Exchange, and the assets are going to comprise of physical Bitcoin purchased from crypto exchanges and held via custodians like Coinbase Global, and the products will be tracking a uh, Bitcoin benchmark and. Uh, the issuers of the ETFs are forecasting uh, fees uh, somewhere uh, between the range of 0.2% to 0.8%. And so it seems like the floodgates are open and the ETFs uh, could be available today as well. And this uh, could potentially drive, out the pr- drive up the price of Bitcoin as high as $100,000. Right now, the price of uh, Bitcoin is sitting at around 48000 So a lot of headroom there, uh, but still, you got to be careful with uh, Bitcoin ETFs because just like uh, Bitcoin itself, it carries risks and there's going to be volatility. Um, and of course, there are voices out there who is opposing the uh, SEC's decision. Um, because uh, the industry has been beset with scandals like uh, criminal convictions, bankruptcies, uh, lawsuits, uh, massive losses. So what the SEC essentially did is probably uh, sort of a rescue uh, with this move to the industry. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Don. Thank you.
0: And Google is laying off hundreds of employees. The tech giant looks to lower costs and focus on growing the the field of generative AI. Google reportedly let go of workers from multiple departments. They include several hundred from core engineering and those working on Google Assistant.
1: Google confirmed the assistant cuts. The company calls the layoffs part of reorganizations made in the normal course of business. The Alphabet Workers Union describes the job cuts as needless. This is a group representing more than 1,400 workers at Google's parent company, Alphabet.
0: Another tech giant is also downsizing. Amazon is eliminating hundreds of jobs across its film and streaming platforms.
1: Roughly 35 percent of staffers at Twitch are getting let go. That's Amazon's live streaming platform. According to Fortune, Twitch has yet to make a profit over the past nine years. Layoffs are also coming to workers at Prime Video and Amazon MGM Studios.
0: Amazon officials say they want to spend more time on content that has strong impact and trim other areas that aren't as successful.
1: And phantom debt is growing. This new form of financing allows consumers to buy now and pay later with small, zero-interest loans. Companies like Klarna and Affirm offer these financial products to consumers, but the products have come under scrutiny because they're seen as ways for companies to skirt consumer finance regulations. I spoke with former chief economist at the Office of Management and Budget Vance Ginn about this emerging trend. Vance again, thank you for joining us. What is Phantom Debt in the first place? Break it down for us.
13: Well, Phantom Debt has to do with all the things that you have for, for, for a family where they're looking at the debt that they have on their balance sheet, uh, whether it's credit card debt and other things that are going on, but also what's happening in the future. And what we've seen over the last year plus is that people have been running out of, of money because inflation is going up so fast around them. And now they're having to go into their credit card. They're having to look at their IRAs, um, use up a lot of their savings, which would be future obligations for their income. And instead, they're running up all this other debt that's happening. And it's really an unfortunate situation that's hurting many families across the country.
1: And how does phantom debt compare to, say, credit card debt?
13: Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of this all, all is tied together. I, I kind of look at it from just overall debt that people are facing across the country. Um, but it is something that they want to look at when they're looking at their interest rates, when they're looking at their income, their future flow of income that's coming in, um, and everything else. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to look at phantom debt. And, 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 you know, there's been a lot of good articles about that recently. But let's also consider this as a package <laughs> that many people are facing some hard times when it comes to not only that phantom debt, um, but also the credit card debt. Loan debt, mortgage debt, one thing after another that continues to pile up on their balance sheet.
1: That's right. Now Wells Fargo says there is that says that phantom debt is the fastest growing types of debt. Um, what explains this rapid
7: growth?
13: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just the higher cost of living that we have, uh, with inflation still running around three percent year over year, and so that has led us to take on a lot of other debt um, that that we're that we're looking at. But it also means that you know the the cost of putting food on the table um, and other things have have reached a max a maximum amount where people have to go into other sort of debt um, for for their family, and it's an unfortunate scenario where whether Wells Fargo is looking at it or other financial companies, um, it, it, we should take a we should not be looking at what the federal government's doing, though, right? Because they keep running at massive debts in uh, and, and, and Congress and, and and really focus on spending. You, the, the spending, your budget is really what you can control. So let's make sure that families you know, across the country are looking at that, whether it's the phantom debt or some of the credit card debt and other consumer debt that's out there.
1: Now, you mentioned the government spending. How does consumer debt tie with government debt?
13: Well, it's a great question, and it really does. And there's a good discussion going on right now in Congress. Uh, There's a budget deal that may be get done between the Democrats and the Republicans um, looking to have some cuts to some of the IRS funding of about $10 billion. But there's still going to be increasing spending, which means- driving more debt in the future. And what that does is it puts upward pressure on interest rates across the economy. And when the Federal Reserve prints a lot of that money, that increases inflationary pressure and higher interest rates. And what does that do? That means your consumer debt also has higher interest rates because it's tied to a lot of the 10-year, you know, the 10-year Treasury note and other sort of rates that, that that are issued by the Treasury, the United States Treasury. So this really will influence the budgets of, of Americans across the country.
1: All right, Vance Ginn, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, please feel free to email us at news.today at Welcome to NTD News Today.
1: Here are today's top stories.
0: Hunter Biden will be in federal court today. Find out what charges he's facing and what his alleged lavish lifestyle has to do with it.
1: Closing arguments are underway in Trump's civil fraud case, and the former president showed up in court. Hear what he had to say about the proceedings.
0: Some lawmakers appearing to protest Republican leadership again. Find out what House Speaker Mike Johnson says about concerns of being ousted.
1: Attorneys general in 25 states are calling out a Wall Street plan. Hear why some say it aims to implement a radical environmental agenda.
0: Chinese hackers target a U.S. research organization that studies China issues. Find out how they succeeded in the latest spying campaign.
1: At least 16 people are dead and a state of emergency has been declared in Papua New Guinea. Find out what caused the violent protests involving police and other public workers.
2: This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stefania Cox and Chris Beers.
0: Hunter Biden today set to appear in a federal court in Los Angeles.
1: The first son is facing charges related to allegedly not paying federal taxes for four years.
0: The charges include three felonies and six misdemeanors, totaling $1.4 million in taxes that were later paid.
1: The special counsel David Weiss claims that Hunter Biden engaged in a scheme from 2017 to 2020 filing false tax reports and avoiding tax payments.
0: The indictment accuses the younger Biden of withdrawing millions from his company Owasco outside of the proper tax process and spending lavishly instead of settling his tax bills.
1: The court proceedings will be presided over by Judge Mark Skarsky.
0: Former President Trump arrived at a courthouse in Manhattan today for closing arguments of his civil fraud trial. Justice Arthur Angeron barred Trump from speaking in the courtroom, but Trump told reporters he would be holding a news conference after the arguments.
12: Well, thank you very much.
3: As you know, uh, we consider this an unconstitutional witch hunt. It's election interference at the highest level. It's a disgrace. It's in coordination with the White House and Joe Biden, because he can't win a campaign fairly. And uh, we're going through it, but it is indeed a terrible witch hunt. We're going to have a news conference a little bit later on. As you know, I want to speak. I want to make the summation. At this moment, the judge is not letting me make the summation because I'll bring up things that he doesn't want to hear. And uh, it's a very unfair trial. Nobody's seen anything like this. I don't think they've ever seen anything like this. We have a situation where a statute was used that doesn't give me a jury, so I have no jury. I really have no rights, and, it's, uh, and nobody, nobody thinks it's constitutional. People, Legal scholars are writing about it like it's something they've never seen before. So-
0: During the closing arguments, Trump's attorney argued that the Trump organization didn't violate any generally accepted accounting practices in their financial statements. He claimed that the statements were actually understated and the brand value of Trump, which was not included as a separate asset, is worth billions.
1: The lawyer also said that the attorney general undervalued properties like Mar-a-Lago. Trump's attorney argued that the estate was worth much more than the estimated value provided.
0: Judge Engeron previously ruled that Trump was liable for fraud and inflated net worth. New York State Attorney General Letitia James has called for a fine of $370 million and a lifetime ban from the state's real estate industry. Trump has denied any wrongdoing. The judge is expected to deliver a verdict in the coming weeks.
1: Hours before the trial today started, Engeron was targeted in a swatting incident. Someone sent a threatening email prompting a police response to the judge's home. The content of the email has not been disclosed.
0: Mocking Chris Christie's exit and hinting at his own potential VP pick, former President Trump in the spotlight last night at a Fox News town hall in Iowa. Entity's Iris Tao joins us for her observations of the town hall and more on Trump's vision of a potential second term. Former
4: President Trump was commanding a stage all to himself here at a Fox News town hall on Wednesday night here in Des Moines, Iowa. He was cheered by his supporters as he walked on the stage throughout the town hall and even during breaks. He was actually even greeting supporters off stage 10-15 minutes after the event wrapped. So you can really see that support he has as is topping 50% in multiple polls here in Iowa. And there are a few highlights during the town hall he responded to a major criticism by Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis against him, which is saying that he, he's all focused on his issues during his campaign and that he's going to make this country look backward if he's reelected. Here's how he responded.
3: I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution.
4: And, and
3: remember this. Our ultimate retribution is success.
4: And that is a softer tone, though, compared with his previous remarks when he, for example, warned that President Biden will be, quote, ripe for indictment for weaponizing the Department of Justice. It doesn't mean that he's not going to prosecute President Biden when he gets in office, potentially like he warned before that Biden will be ripe for indictment.
9: That's what the Democrats do.
5: President Trump's going to go save the country. Again, he did it before, he can do it again.
4: And another highlight from the town hall is when Trump took aim at Nikki Haley by mocking a hot mic moment by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, right before Chris Christie made that announcement on Wednesday night that he was going to drop out of the race in 2024. Here's what Chris Christie and Trump were saying.
6: And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this.
3: Actually, the bigger story wasn't the fact that he dropped out. Nobody cared too much about that. But he had a hot mic to say that she doesn't have what it takes. She'll be creamed in the, in the election. And, I mean, I know her very well, and I happen to believe that Chris Christie is right.
4: And all this is as Trump surprised all of us by saying that he already knew who his vice president pick would be, though he wouldn't tell us who it is. So a lot to watch for in the coming weeks and months as we wait
0: for Trump to actually disclose his choice to voters. Back to you. All right, thank you, Iris. And here to, with us live to discuss the CNN debate uh, with Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis last night is Aaron Call, Director of Debate at the University of Michigan. Aaron, what do you think of N- Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis' performance overall last night?
14: Yeah, it was a good spirited debate, very aggressive. Uh, they probably hadn't attacked each other that much in the four previous debates. Uh, you could really see that time is of the essence. The voting starts in a matter of days, and both of them are vying to be a, a credible alternative to Trump. And um, if DeSantis doesn't get second place in Iowa, his his campaign may, done, may be done. But Nikki Haley is stronger in New Hampshire, so she'll at least stick around through that. But uh, the voting is starting. And so they really took sharp barbs at each other and even had some critical words for of the frontrunner Donald Trump towards the end of the debate
0: yeah what do you think of their debating skills were there any notable moments that let them shine or perhaps not so much
14: yeah
10: governor DeSantis
14: big advantage is he's the only incumbent politician right now so throughout the, the course of the evening he was able to talk about uh, executive and legislative things he's done in Florida whether regarding Israel China um, some economic things and so that gives him a little bit of a heads up but Haley tried to attack when he was uh, in Congress and did some unpopular things like increase uh, federal spending that's is not very popular in the Republican Party. So um, in, in some ways those things canceled out. I do think that last night DeSantis really got under the skin of Nikki Haley, maybe not as much so as Vivek Ramaswamy, but a few times um, when you you could tell that she was very perturbed and kind of looked into the sky, said that uh, he was demeaning to her. So the the attacks uh, were were very sharp and uh, you definitely uh, don't think she was on her best game or had her best debate performance. Um, She was really strong out of the gate in Milwaukee, but uh, DeSantis is really uh, close strong in these last few debates.
0: Now, you're kind of alluding to this here, but what do you think of their style of communication here and and how it might have impacted their effectiveness during this debate?
14: Yeah, they're both excellent uh, debaters, and they have a wealth of experience. They both were, DeSantis still is governor. Nikki Haley was uh, governor, and she had some very contentious primary and general election debates in South Carolina. DeSantis uh, had some high-profile debates against uh, Charlie Crist and Andrew Gillum, so... They're they're very quick on their feet, uh, they're very knowledgeable. They had rehearsed some some zingers and things before, um, but they um, are you know can really I think hold, the, hold their own against some of the most formal debaters. And you know if, if any of them had the opportunity to debate uh, Trump on the same stage, I think they um, would would be able to to hold their own. They're definitely above average debaters and. I uh, thought you know, it was very close. I think that DeSantis uh, dominated the early portions of the debate and then Haley closed very strongly. Some of the polling shows that maybe just people thought DeSantis won a little bit more, but you know, no clear uh, victory. But um, I'm not sure either of them did so well or was so decisive that um, there's going to be a large impact uh, vis-a-vis the, the race with uh, the frontrunner Trump.
0: And how do you think the moderators handled this debate last night and what kind of impact they might have had on the dynamics?
14: i thought they did pretty well the moderating overall with these debates we've had so far has been kind of uneven uh especially the simi valley one where they were um you know doing games like uh, trying to make it survivor asking each other to kick everybody out but uh, the last few have been better and these were very experienced uh, moderators who've been in several primary debates i was a little concerned at the beginning, um, kind of, you know, Trump, despite him being the front runner, doing a, a competing town hall, was not a big portion of the debate, but they did get back to him later and really asked for some sharp contrast with Haley and DeSantis over Trump on things like January 6th and abortion. And so, you know, he's the elephant out in the room, even though he doesn't, it's not participating in these debates. He's still the front runner nationally and in the early states. So it's glad that the, the two candidates were able to comment on him and really try to show a contrast about how they do things differently and move the country forward if, if they were to win the nomination.
0: Yeah. So right now they're kind of vying against each other, against Trump, and also for the general election. So, in terms of persuasion, how do you think they fared uh, in terms of p- pulling in a broader audience?
14: I think Haley probably had the advantage there on the broader audience. Uh, DeSantis is really playing to the base, especially when the, the debate uh, switched to social issues. you know, definitely more conservative on things like uh, abortion and transgender issues and, and things like that. Uh, but Haley's real strength is um, attracting kind of non-traditional voters, maybe moderates, uh, even Democrats, independents. And that's part of the reason she's doing so well in New Hampshire. And uh, and DeSantis is very far back. So in the short term, DeSantis may have connected more with Iowa voters and that voting starts there soon. Talked about some of right. their energy and other concerns, um, but Haley really made a play to, to outside the, the group and, and we'll All see right. how that uh, turns out once the voting starts.
0: For sure, Aaron Call, Director of Debate at the University of Michigan. Thank you so much. So. Using a van for absentee voting. A Wisconsin judge ruled that using mobile vans to facilitate absentee voting violates state election law. This is a win for Republicans who challenged the practice in court. In 2022, a vehicle drove to various locations in the city of Racine to collect absentee ballots. A Racine County Circuit Court judge ruled this violated state law while also unfairly benefiting Democrats. The van was sent to nearly two dozen sites where it would stop for several hours of in-person absentee voting. The judge agreed with plaintiffs, saying the van was mostly sent to Democratic areas in the city. The Wisconsin ruling comes as states across the U.S. are getting ready for this year's presidential elections. And the Federal Election Commission is taking a close look at RFK Jr., Officials at the FEC wrote a letter to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Tuesday wanting more information about payments made to a relative. The commission says the presidential candidate's daughter-in-law, Amaryllis Kennedy, made roughly $74,000 last year.
1: The FEC wants to know if those payments reflected, quote, fair market value and not the personal use of campaign funds. The commission says if Kennedy's campaign can't amend its paperwork, legal action could be taken. Amaryllis Kennedy was named RFK's campaign manager in October 2023, but FAC records show she never previously worked on a federal political campaign.
0: Coming up, an illegal immigrant charged with homicide had been deported from the U.S. four times before causing a fatal car crash in Colorado. What is his immigration record?
1: South Africa is accusing Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians. Hear their arguments in the UN court. That and more when we return. Welcome back. House Speaker Mike Johnson commenting on Wednesday's failed procedural vote. A group of staunchly conservative Republicans joined Democrats in voting no on a procedural measure. This was most likely done to protest GOP leadership. Last year, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy lost the gavel over budget deals.
7: Are you worried that one of these guys is going to make a move
15: on you?
10: No, I'm not worried about that at all. I just met with all those guys. They're they're close friends of mine. we agree on the principles. Look, I, I am a lifelong, hardcore conservative. I, I want to get as many policy wins as we can. I want to advance the ball as far as we can. But the reality is we have a small majority. So um, in, a, in a situation like that, you're not going to get everything you want. You, you get what you can get
1: procedural vote would have allowed the chamber to vote on various other measures. This was the first time the House failed to pass a rule during the second session of the 118th Congress and the fifth time overall in the 118th Congress.
0: The vote appeared to be a protest over the government funding deal agreed to by Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. It consists of the top line at almost $1.6 trillion with nearly $70 billion in discretionary spending.
1: It does include some spending cuts, but not as many as House Freedom Caucus members would like. The group denounced the deal in a statement on social media calling it a total failure.
0: And in related news, Johnson spoke with President Biden about the border crisis yesterday.
1: The phone call comes amid Senate negotiations on border security tied to aid for Ukraine and Israel.
0: The exact details of the conversation are unclear. A spokesperson for Johnson said the Speaker strongly encouraged Biden to use his executive authority to secure the southern border.
1: We have new information on the case of an illegal immigrant charged for killing a mother and son. Officials now say the suspect had already been deported multiple times before allegedly causing the alcohol-fueled crash. Last month, a 37-year-old man from El Salvador allegedly crashed his car into another car in Colorado. He was later arrested and is now facing multiple charges, including vehicular homicide. An ICE spokesperson recently told the Epic Times that authorities had deported the man four times in the past. That was in 2009, 2012, 2014 and again in 2015. He might now be deported once more after last month's crash. ICE Denver lodged a detainer to seek his arrest. Democratic Senator Bob Menendez is asking a judge to throw out his federal bribery indictment. In court papers filed on Wednesday, lawyers for Menendez say the allegations he faces are quote, ludicrous and distort reality. Menendez is accused of acting as a foreign agent for the governments of Egypt and Qatar and helping several New Jersey businessmen. The prosecutors say Menendez received bribes in exchange for his power in Congress, but the senator's attorneys argued that much of the allegedly illegal activity is protected under the Constitution's speech or debate clause. Therefore they say Menendez is immune from prosecution. Menendez has pleaded not guilty. His request to to the judge comes just one day after he delivered a fiery speech defending himself on the Senate floor.
0: And Google is laying off hundreds of employees. The tech giant is looking to lower costs and focus on the growing field of generative AI. Google reportedly let go of workers from multiple departments. They include several hundred from core engineering and those working on Google Assistant.
1: Google confirmed the assistant cuts. The company calls the layoffs part of reorganizations made in the normal course of business. The Alphabet Workers' Union described the job cuts as needless. This is a group representing more than 1,400 workers at Google's parent company, Alphabet.
0: Another tech giant is also downsizing. Amazon is eliminating hundreds of jobs across its film and streaming platforms.
1: Roughly 35% of staffers at Twitch are getting let go. That's Amazon's live streaming platform. According to Fortune, Twitch has yet to make a profit over the past nine years. Layoffs are also coming to work. Here's at Prime Video and Amazon MGM Studios.
0: Amazon officials say they want to spend more time on content that has a strong impact and trim other areas that aren't as successful. 25 state attorneys general are criticizing a land rights buying scheme. They wrote a letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission urging them to reject it. The New York Stock Exchange plan would create Natural Asset Companies, or NACs, that would buy land rights across the U.S.
1: NACs aim to gather money from investors globally to purchase land rights and restrict land use to sustainable activities.
0: Critics argue it's part of a larger effort to support the Bureau of Land Management's plan to sell conservation leases on public lands.
1: These leases would limit economic activities like grazing and logging, along with the Biden administration's conservation goals.
0: President Biden met with the sister of Paul Whelan, the former U.S. Marine detained in Russia. Wednesday's meeting at the White House included Elizabeth Whelan, the president, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. They discussed the Biden administration's ongoing efforts to secure Paul's release from Russia. Whelan was arrested in Moscow in 2018 on espionage charges. Last month marked five years in Russian detention. The Biden administration says it's a wrongful detention. Whelan recently called on Biden to use every resource available to secure his release. The former Marine also denounced the fact that he was not included in the 2022 prisoner swaps. The swaps freed detained Americans Trevor Reed and WNBA star Brittany Griner.
1: Secretary of State Anthony Blinken left Cairo today. That's after rounding off a Middle East tour by holding talks with the Egyptian president. Blinken said his visit established key objectives for peace in Gaza.
3: We also had conversations
2: about the day after the conflict ends, doing the work necessary uh, to prepare for that, as well as for long-term enduring
8: security. The other path is uh, to continue to see the terrorism, the nihilism, the destruction by Hamas, by the Houthis, by Hezbollah,
2: all backed by Iran.
0: U.S. officials have claimed modest success in getting Mideast leaders on board with general planning for construction and governance scenarios in Gaza after the war.
1: Blinken secured Arab support to begin such planning. He held discussions with the leaders of Turkey, Jordan, Qatar the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia and Bahrain throughout the week-long mission.
0: Each country pledged to participate in the planning, but officials said precise roles have yet to be determined.
1: However, Arab support is contingent on the establishment of a specific pathway for the creation of independent Palestine state.
0: The UN's top court opened hearings today in a case focused on Israel's activities in Gaza. It centers on South Africa's demand for an emergency suspension of Israel's military campaign. NTD's Daniel Monaghan has more on the case in which South Africa claims that Israel is committing genocide against Palestinians.
2: The International Court of Justice will hear South Africa's arguments on Thursday and Israel's response to the allegations on Friday. South African lawyers said during opening arguments that the latest Gaza war is part of a decades-long oppression of the Palestinians by Israel. They asked judges to impose binding preliminary orders on Israel, including an immediate halt to its military campaign. The court is expected to rule on the emergency measures later this month. The court will not rule at that time on the genocide allegations. Those proceedings could take years. South Africa and Israel are both parties to the 1948 Genocide Convention, which obliges them to not commit genocide and also to prevent and punish it. South African lawyer Adila Hassam says Israel has subjected Gaza to one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare.
4: Palestinians in Gaza are being killed by Israeli weaponry and bombs from air, land, and
0: sea.
2: Israel has rejected the accusations of genocide as baseless and accused South Africa of playing advocate of the devil for Hamas. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu issued a video statement Wednesday night defending his country's actions and insisted they had nothing to do with genocide. The court's decisions are final and without appeal, but the court has no way to enforce them. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Coming up, Germany's foreign minister today criticized Beijing's aggression against the Philippines. She said the Chinese regime's actions are causing concern in Europe.
1: And military threats, trade sanctions and fake news. A look how Beijing is using all means to influence Taiwan's vote coming up this Saturday. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Germany showing support for the Philippines. Germany's foreign minister today criticized Beijing's aggression against the U.S. ally. Chinese Coast Guard vessels rammed Filipino boats, fired water cannons at them, and even put up floating barriers, all to prevent the Filipino vessels from entering a disputed shoal in the South China Sea. Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbach says these actions are causing concerns in Europe.
4: Such risky maneuvers violate the rights and economic development opportunities of your country and other neighboring countries.
0: The disputed shoal is located in the middle of the South China Sea, close to shipping lanes that carry an estimated $3.4 trillion worth of annual commerce.
1: Multiple countries, including the Philippines, claim parts of the South China Sea. Beijing has a much bigger appetite, though, claiming almost all of it. An international court has rejected China's claims.
0: Bayerbach is in Manila to commemorate the 70th anniversary of diplomatic ties. She's the first foreign minister to visit the Philippines in over a decade. Suspected Chinese hackers targeted a U.S. based research organization last month. That's according to U.S. cybersecurity firm Volexity, which wrote about the hacking in a blog post on Wednesday. Velexity says the hackers exploited two flaws on popular VPN software in order to gain unfettered access to the victim organization. Velexity did not name the victim organization, but says it does research on geopolitics, including China issues. And it often draws attention from state-backed hackers. Ivanti makes the VPN software. The company says it was developing an update to fix the flaws. Ivanti is also urging its customers to take additional steps to protect themselves. Military threats, trade restrictions, and fake news. A look at China's alleged attempts to sway Taiwan's upcoming presidential race. Here's more. Taiwanese politicians
16: and experts are accusing Beijing of interfering in Taiwan's upcoming presidential election.
17: 比如说我们现在台湾最担心的...
8: Right now, the Taiwan government is most concerned about TikTok.
16: A report by AFP says disinformation targeting candidate William Lai is seeing a surge on TikTok. Lai is Taiwan's current vice president and the frontrunner in the race. Beijing wants William Lai out. Instead, it favors Hou Yi, the candidate from opposition party Kuomintang. TikTok's parent company is based in China. NTD reached out to TikTok for comment but did not hear back before airtime. According to Taiwan's security officials, China's intelligence agency generated hundreds of videos attacking current President Tsai Ing-wen using AI anchors. Officials said China's goal is to damage William Lai's popularity. Both Lai and Tsai are members of the Democratic Progressive Party. Taiwanese Foreign Minister Joseph Wu said China wants to use Taiwan as a testing ground, adding if the regime can shape the result of Taiwan's elections, it will try to apply the tactics on other countries. China also invited local Taiwanese politicians on paid visits to the mainland. Taiwan has opened a dozen investigations into such trips. Beijing also threatened trade sanctions if Taiwan's ruling party supports Taiwanese independence. On the military front, China flew aircraft and balloons near Taiwan. It also launched a satellite over the island, triggering a nationwide emergency alert.
8: According to our recent observations, the Chinese military is still carrying out regular training and maintaining military intimidation Near Taiwan's waters. We will continue to pay close attention to it and take relevant measures.
16: About 20 million Taiwanese are expected to head to polls this Saturday. William Lai is leading in the polls for now, though the race remains tight.
1: As Taiwan's presidential election approaches, we zoom in on the frontline island of Kinmen. A symbolically important constituency, voters on the island are grappling with the impact of their vote on relations with communist China and the future of the island.
18: Most of Taiwan lies around 100 miles from mainland China. The island of Kinmen, however, is only a short ferry ride away. Tanks and barricades face the skyscrapers of the Chinese city of Xiamen on the horizon. Kinmen is seen in Taiwan as its furthest outpost of democracy as well as a symbolically important constituency which attracts visits from the leadership of all of Taiwan's major political parties. As those campaign efforts pick up ahead of Taiwan's presidential election this week, residents of the island, which relies heavily on spending by Chinese tourists, are wondering how their vote will impact relations with Beijing, and in turn, the future of Kinmen. Kang Biguan is the third-generation owner of a stall that sells fish balls, a common street-food snack,
16: We hope that during the upcoming elections, the Taiwanese government will consider future developments of Kinmen. We need a stream of people to have a stream of money. Otherwise, for us vendors, including the next generation, we can foresee a lot of hardships.
18: Taiwan has controlled Kinmen since 1949, when the defeated Republic of China government fled to Taipei after losing a civil war with Mao Zedong's communists. Bombarded by hundreds of thousands of shells over decades, the frontline island earned a reputation as the protector of Taiwan. However, over the years, both sides of the water that divides it from mainland China have enjoyed close economic ties. Many families have relatives in both places. The establishment of a 30 minute ferry service in the early 2000s transformed the island into a popular shopping destination for Chinese tourists. Now, both Beijing and Taiwanese opposition party candidates are calling for a bridge between Xiamen and Kinmen, which has divided opinion on the island. While the majority on the island support closer ties, a growing subset of young residents identify more as Taiwanese than Chinese. They want a democratic Kinmen that embraces its own culture and relies less on China. Coffee roastery owner Yuan Zengjia is one of them.
6: My dream is to use my coffee to bring some of Kinmen's culture and specialties to the world. I think we can create a Kinmen coffee brand so that people can learn more about Kinmen. We can indeed move our market to Southeast Asia, Europe and the U.S., meaning Taiwan's market will not only be in China. Taiwan should look to the whole world and not only focus on China.
18: In the run-up to the January 13th election, billboards for Taiwan's ruling DPP party and opposition Kuomintang Party alike have sprung up around Kinmen. But for some, like bookstore owner Wang Yuwen, voting along party lines matters less than a candidate's vision for the island's future.
16: If the Communist
14: Party wants to attack you, they will not care if you are the KMT or the DPP. This is how I see it. So based on this, I tend to vote for the candidate of a party that does not want to get closer with China. But if today the party that doesn't propose closer ties with China puts forward a candidate without their own ideas, values or blueprint for the future, then I might gravitate towards not voting at all.
0: A new breakthrough in Missouri's lawsuit against the Chinese Communist Party. A federal appeals court said the suit can move forward after getting stuck for three years. Former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt filed the lawsuit in 2020. It alleges that Chinese officials were responsible for the enormous death, suffering, and economic losses they inflicted on the world, including Missourians.
1: A court dismissed the case in 2022 because under a law, sovereign foreign countries can't be sued in American courts. Now a higher court is reversing the decision, saying the case can proceed with one claim, that Beijing allegedly hoarded masks and other protective gear during the pandemic.
0: Missouri's current attorney general applauded the decision on X, saying the state is ready to head back to court to pursue remedies. When the COVID-19 pandemic first broke out in Wuhan about three years ago, the city saw a major death toll.
1: At the time, authorities halted domestic flights to and from Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak, but millions of Chinese citizens were still traveling abroad, unknowingly carrying the virus with them.
0: And in more China news, a turning point in a legal battle. Can the Chinese Communist Party be held responsible for the global suffering during the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Dive into the details of the Missouri lawsuit.
0: We'll have the judges' insights, crucial allegations and more tonight at 9.30 Eastern Time. Only on NTD's China in Focus with Tiffany Meyer. At least 16 people are dead in Papua New Guinea after violent riots. Police and other public workers held angry protests over a pay dispute. Here's the nation's prime minister speaking on the issue.
2: Today we call for a state of emergency for 14 days in our nation's capital. Uh, there were recommendations for outside forces to come in or for us to uh, seek help elsewhere. Uh, whilst the police uh, in general had a general cause of consent, uh, there were Organized people behind the scene, organize rioting, uh, and that started the entire process. We look into where that organization and where that support came from.
0: The unrest began on Wednesday as hundreds of police officers, soldiers, and public servants walked off their jobs after discovering a reduction in their salary. The Papua New Guinea government attributed the pay cut to an administrative glitch.
1: Footage shows thousands of people in the streets. Many of them were carrying what appeared to be looted merchandise. Many shops and banking services were closed today as business owners repaired the damage.
0: Coming up, a TV drama has brought Britain's post office scandal back into the spotlight, and with it, public outrage. What happened in perhaps the biggest miscarriage of justice the country has ever seen?
1: and a 70-year-old road grader turned into a marvelous toy for kids. A farmer in Australia teaches his sons an unusual family tradition. More shortly here on NTD News Today.
0: For decades, Britain's post office scandal has gone unnoticed by most people. But all that changed this month thanks to a new ITV television drama that portrayed how hundreds of postal workers were wrongfully prosecuted over computer system errors. Public outrage is now putting top post office executives and former ministers in the firing line. So what exactly happened? Let's take a look. This is
15: about the reputation of the post office. Mr Bates versus the post office shows how hundreds of postal workers at the state-owned post office were wrongly prosecuted or convicted between 1999 and 2015 for alleged false accounting, theft and fraud. Some received jail time, went bankrupt or had their marriages fall apart. Others died before their names were cleared. The real culprit? A glitchy software system called Horizon, developed by Japan's Fujitsu. It incorrectly showed money missing from the accounts of individual branches. The post office, which also handles people's savings and pensions, maintained for years that the accounting system was reliable, while accusing branch managers of theft. Problems started being reported to the post office from the early 2000s. In 2009, trade publication Computer Weekly reported claims of flaws with Horizon alongside the employee prosecutions. The post office began to investigate as pressure built from media and lawmakers. In late 2019, the post office agreed to settle claims made by 555 sub-postmasters. The government says roughly $175 million was paid out to over 2,700 claimants. But many found their compensation was greatly reduced by legal fees. Some are yet to receive anything or have their convictions quashed. It's frustrating. Alan Bates is one of the leading claimants. This money is
2: only what they're owed. This is
15: money that
2: to put them back in a position that they would have been in had post office not done what they did to them.
15: No senior post office staff have been punished. In 2015, its boss Paula Vennels, told a parliamentary committee that there had been no evidence of any miscarriage of justice. She eventually stepped down in 2019 having received more than $5.7 million in salary and bonuses during her seven-year tenure. Former Postal Affairs Minister Ed Davey has also come under the spotlight. He refused to meet Bates in May 2010, but later said he was clearly misled by post office executives. Fujitsu has continued to win multiple British government contracts. It says it supports a public inquiry and has apologised for its role in the scandal. Bates hopes pressure on officials will mount.
7: I think uh, there's a, going to be
2: a lot more political attention on this and it will build the momentum and hopefully bring speedy resolution, certainly to all those who are still waiting for the financial redress in all of this,
9: which has been so lacking throughout many, many years in their lives. The stories are appalling. People were treated absolutely appallingly. That's wrong.
15: Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has called the scandal an appalling miscarriage of justice and says his government is considering its London's Metropolitan Police has also confirmed its own investigation. Separately, an independent public inquiry is gathering evidence.
1: Prime Minister Rishi Sunak made a new announcement following national outrage over the scandal. He said Britain will seek to use new legislation to overturn the wrongful convictions of hundreds of post office managers. While 93 convictions were overturned, hundreds of others are yet to be quashed. A farmer in Tasmania, Australia has found a way to keep his kids occupied during vacations. It's also a way to give his old equipment a second lease on life. TDS Andrew Thomas has the details.
17: This road grader is more than 70 years old. It should really be in a museum. For more than 10 years, it's been just sitting in a shed. But farmer Richard Hallett told his three sons that it could be revived.
10: Well, they didn't, they didn't think I was serious because they, they, they thought, no, there's no way that thing still works and operates.
17: After some work, the piece of machinery sprang back to life. The success also sparked a new tradition for the holidays, fixing up old farm equipment bound for the scrapyard.
10: It's just a good thing to do rather than just leaving machines sitting around uh, going rusty forever. Uh, just give them a run and yeah, keep the boys entertained.
17: They've already gotten a 60s tractor and an old grain truck up and running. Hallett's children are also learning useful mechanical skills.
9: Diagnosing what a problem is and in an engine and yeah, finding out what you need to replace and yeah, and maybe learning a bit of
12: panel beating skills as well. It's awesome. Better than anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to, I don't know, just seeing old things that are just sitting there running again.
15: Think you'll keep going? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
17: Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Before we wrap up our show, just in the latest in the ongoing Trump fraud trial in Manhattan. The former president left the courtroom for a 15 minute break. Here he is addressing reporters outside the courtroom. Thank you very much, Uh, We just had a very good session. The lawyer said
3: that there was uh, absolutely nothing going wrong. These were all great loans. The bank uh, got the loans, they got paid. Uh, the banks were in perfect condition. The bankers were extremely happy with these loans. They made a lot of money with the loans. There were no defaults. There were no problems. This is just an attorney general that hates Donald Trump and wanted to work for governor. wanted to work for attorney general. And it's a shame. I think she's, she should be criminally liable for this And I think if anybody was being fair about it, and I'm not sure you could even hear me because they don't allow microphones over here, which is really ridiculous, but. If anybody's fair about it, you see, this is a case that should have never been brought, and I think we should be entitled to damages. Thank you. I'll be back.
0: And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com.
1: And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow.